welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles, and joining me this week is Wes Hilliard. Thanks for joining me again, Wes. Yeah, good morning, Stephen. Good morning. I'm going to be hitting this big article. We're going to talk about it later in the show. Obviously, we have an update on the Epic versus Apple saga and this article that compared, is Apple the new Facebook or is Apple like Microsoft? We definitely both have some thoughts on that. We're going to be covering that later in the show. But first, let's jump on some news bits. There's been some rumors flying around about the release dates for the new Apple Watch, iPad, and iPhone 12. You know, we can't pinpoint anything. I'll say at the moment, possibly be looking at some kind of announcement, either a press release or digital event next week, the week of September 7th or 8th, probably. John Prosser saying that he knows something is going to be happening on Apple's website next week. So that's as much as we know. It seems like the iPhone 12 is being pushed to October. So maybe it'll be a digital event again, some kind of video, but not looking like a September release for the iPhone. And the Apple Watch might follow it into October. Yeah, I feel like everything with uh, these rumors are always on a sliding scale. Uh, Prosser and those guys are hearing about it three weeks after a decision's been made. So that's why all this stuff keeps moving around so much, because by the time they hear about it, three more decisions have been made since. Apple Watch and iPhones always release together. So the, the rumor that it was coming out like next week in a press release always felt a little weird. I think next week's just going to be some iPads, you know, maybe a little redesign, but nothing groundbreaking. So maybe Apple TV too. And there's rumors that new Apple TV model with a remote or different style remote possible. That, that feels like a press release type product. So another piece of news, iOS 13.7 was released this past week, and the main feature there is the exposure notification is now built in to iOS. You do not need a standalone app to have access or to utilize the COVID-19 exposure notification system. You have to have authorities in your state actually utilize the API and have that ability enabled in your state so it works. But if they have in your state, then you'll see a notification pop up saying, you know, exposure notifications are available. Would you like to enable? It is an opt-in system. It's not something that's just on by default. You do have to decide whether or not you want to use it, but that is there and you don't need a standalone app for it. Unfortunately, I think there's actually a pretty limited amount of states supporting it or or giving their people access to it. So it's definitely not having widespread adoption. Pretty much all the states that already have contact tracing apps um, released are the ones supporting (laughs) the API. The reason why this is happening so slowly is because while the iPhones and Android phones can exchange tokens freely. That's not really the limitation here. The state has to implement the back end for tracking. So say you go get diagnosed, how do you tell the app that you've been diagnosed? That's where the state comes in and actually has to um, give you a no- number and a back end to run those numbers. And without those implemented, there's nothing the API can do other than exchange tokens. It's there. If your state actually enables it sometime soon, you'll you'll see that notification to opt in. There's a link in show notes to the article, and you can kind of see what it looks like there. I wanted to give you kudos, Wes, to an article that you had. You know, Apple stores around the country have kind of gone in and out where they reopened at a certain time during all this COVID stuff, and then some of them had to close again. And for me, you know, I have Apple Care on many of my products, and typically I'm not really worried about something breaking or if I accidentally drop something, because typically you can just go to an Apple store and get a new model or refurbished model, or they, you know, help you in a replacement. But now in my state of Florida, there are no Apple stores open anywhere. And, you know, if I needed to utilize Apple Care for a broken device, it would have to be some kind of mail in deal and would have to wait. So it's a little different in this 
climate and this time uh, having to deal with with that, not having a physical app in store. But you have an article where you have basically every state in the United States and whether or not they have Apple stores open or not, whether it's curbside only or you can go in. So kudos to you. How did you go about getting all that information together? Well, this is um, one of those ongoing articles. So we've been maintaining this for a few months now. Um, It started with, hey, there's some closures uh, in Europe and Basically, it's just gone from there. So that's why the list is able to get so big. I didn't just sit down one day and compile a list of every store in uh, the world because there's over 300 of them. It's just as the news comes in, Apple, for some reason, stays very mum about stores opening and closing. They don't put out a press release or anything. It just happens. So uh, you have to keep an eye on social media and such. And there's some other blogs and whatnot keeping track of these things. So just keeping tabs on all the information available and updating our own universal tracker. Very cool. Well, yeah, kudos to you. There'll be a link in show notes to that article. If you're curious what Apple stores in your state, at least here in the United States, are open or available for Genius Bar support. So you check that out. Also wanted to put a link in here for the iPad for Education. Apple actually highlighted the role of iPad in some remote education efforts. And they kind of did a story about an individual using iPads. And I just wanted to touch on this here because as someone with three kids, uh, we do a lot of schoolwork at home, especially during the season. And man, the iPad is really an integral part in that. You know, I know of other people that, you know, try to use like Amazon Fire tablets and other things like that. And I just have to say the the iPad in particular, especially with apps like Notability or GoodNotes and using like PDFs of worksheets and then having the Apple Pencil to fill out those worksheets, you know, the kids being able to use that. It's just an incredible tool. And, you know, every once in a while, you'll see a sale on Amazon or one of the retail outlets that we link to a lot, like B&H Photo or Adorama. You can get that base model iPad, the seventh generation, sometimes for under 300 bucks. We actually picked one up for like $250 on Amazon. And it's great. Got the Apple Care. And one of the cool things, too, is you can now start paying for Apple Care and sign up for Apple Care without going to a store or even buying it with the device. So the iPad that I got most recently was from Amazon, got it for like 250 bucks, I believe, or 260. When it arrived, I actually didn't open it up for a while, unfortunately. And so forgot about Apple Care. wasn't sure if I'd be able to sign up. But when I finally set it up and did all that, I was able to go to the settings on the iPad, go to the about page there, and you can actually sign up for Apple Care right there and then. And you don't have to have some kind of like hardware check. You don't have to do anything like that. It just allowed me to sign up, got the two years of Apple Care. You can choose to pay all at once or add it to like a monthly deal. It's like two or three dollars every month. Yeah, really convenient for that Apple Care, especially on those kind of new iPads. So anyway, just highly recommend if you're considering something for your student, really of any age, you know, take a look at the iPad. If you have an older student, maybe high school age or even into college, iPad Pro with Magic Keyboard, it's it's an awesome solution. So anyway, just want to give a plug there and you can check out the story that Apple kind of highlighted there in show notes. You know, iPad being my favorite little toy. uh, It's really cool that schools are, you know, more and more of them are getting part of this education system uh, Apple's trying to build. Um, I wish they would focus more on software. You know, the Google Classroom experience is, you know, miles better, but, you know, having any kind of tablet like that just can always save students a lot of time and schools a lot of money and a lot of paper. So I think it's pretty cool. One feature that I I really hope one day comes to iPad is some kind of multi-user support. And this is something that's been talked about in the past and you can do it with some education 
device management software, you know, a classroom style setting, you can have iPads that, you know, have either pre-programmed profiles or that are kind of locked in a specific way. But when it comes to personal use, you cannot do that on your own iPad. And if you want that kind of education, multi-user experience, you have to register like as an education business or, you know, as an an educator as a school. And that's not something someone like me as an individual can do. So I, I don't have access to that feature. But hopefully one day, you know, that, that multi-user support, especially if you have multiple kids, you know, if you could do it, an iPad for every kid, that's great. But there's definitely a challenge if they're sharing an iPad and if you want them each to have their own iCloud account where they can have like their own music and playlists that they're dealing with or, you know, specific apps that you want one child to have and not another. You don't really have that ability right now with a single iPad iPad shared among multiple people. I think the pieces of the puzzle are slowly falling into place every year. Uh, just look at Apple TV with their account switching. Um, I think the same kind of concept could happen with iPad, especially very soon if we get App Library active on mm. iPad and so you can hide different home screens. Think about just tapping on a person's face. It would switch to their personalized home screen and uh, have access to all of their uh, logins and whatnot. It, it's inches away, Apple just has to implement it. Also, there's rumors in addition to the Apple Watch Series 6 and the new iPads, new possible smaller HomePod might be coming out. Rumors continue to surround the AirPod Studio that'll be coming out. We'll put a link in show notes. This is an article that William actually wrote kind of covering all that we know about the AirPod Studio and kind of the light cup design and all that that might be coming. But I know this is going to be like a day one buy for you, Wes. You've said this is your deal. Oh, yeah, yeah. This this looks like it's going to be an amazing product, whatever it is. And at about $350, the technology they're implementing is totally worth it. Yeah, because it's going to be like you put it down around your neck or you take them off your head and it'll pause the music, kind of like taking out one AirPod does now. And the multi-device connection I know is going to be a, a huge benefit, especially if you have Apple devices. I put out a call on Twitter asking what people's experience with over-the-year headphones have been. And I did have some people recommending the Sennheiser Momentum series, others saying the Bowers and Wilkins, the PX series is really good as far as sound quality and noise cancellation. So I've been so close on jumping on one of those, but I don't know, you always in the back of my mind, Wes, saying like, well, AirPod Studio, they're going to be coming out. So, yeah. so I've been waiting. Some of these technologies I'm, I'm really interested in seems to be coming to fruition. 3D audio and head tracking could be in these headphones and that means that you know if you're on your ipad playing a game in augmented reality you can hear you know like alien spaceships flying around your head or whatever you know so you can actually hear the audio as it's occurring around you and you turn your head the studios know that you've turned your head and can move the audio with you and i'm really hoping that there's some sort of universal standard so that uh when you get the PlayStation 5 this fall, which also supports 3D audio for video games, that you'll be able to plug these guys up and uh, have a go. I think it'll be a really cool experience. Yeah, that would be cool. So we'll see. Hopefully sometime in the next couple months, we'd see this first version of the AirPod Studio. And this last bit of news before we get to the big Apple versus Epic and is Apple announced that the app economy kind of in the United States, that it added over 300,000 new jobs here in the United States. 
Apple has said that since April of 2019, that it has increased the amount of people it supports in the app ecosystem, and that is now 2.1 million jobs in the United States just related to the app ecosystem. And so this is not talking about Apple employees specifically. This is about developers or teams that support apps. And so it's saying that it is a huge part of the job market here in the United States. And again, there's a little bit of irony as Apple is touting this number, as then we have all this app store antitrust and policy discussion going on in the background. But it is pretty wild to think that 2.1 million jobs in the U.S. have to do with apps and the app store in general. And this is in addition to the 90,000 employees that it employs directly across the 50 states here in America. And Apple also says that they support 450,000 manufacturing and supply chain jobs uh, through its work with over 9,000 American suppliers. So uh, interesting numbers. That's definitely more than I would have thought. It's kind of an incredible number for just apps and app store stuff. I just wonder how they get these numbers in the first place. I mean, are they counting developer accounts? Because I have a developer account. I don't make apps. Uh, so I, I just kind of wonder where these come from. Yeah, that is curious. Uh, I wonder how many have developer accounts that don't do anything actively with it just to get the betas. I'm sure that there's a segment of the population that just wants those developer betas. So yeah, it's curious. But all that on the heels, Epic versus Apple. And so here's your update on the Epic versus Apple So their developer account was revoked on August 28th. Epic Games no longer has the ability to submit apps to the App Store, update its apps or anything like that. And Fortnite is gone from the App Store. Again, nothing else can be done with that. Like we said in the last week's episode, the Unreal Engine that powers many 3D games in the App Store and on consoles is safe because the judge ordered that that be left alone in all this stuff. And so I just want to read the statement from Apple, and then we'll read a little bit of the statement from uh, Tim Sweeney, who from Epic Games and their kind of response, and then we can discuss. Apple says, quote, We are disappointed that we had to terminate the Epic Games account on the App Store. We have worked with a team at Epic Games for many years on their launches and releases. The court recommended that Epic comply with the App Store guidelines while their case moves forward, and they've refused. And I'll just kind of summarize the rest here. You know, Fortnite tried to submit several updates, but those updates still violated the guidelines because they had their own in-app purchase system in those updates they were submitting to the App Store in the last several weeks. And then, quote, it is not fair to all other developers on the App Store and is putting customers in the middle of their fight. We hope that we can work together again in the future, but unfortunately that is not possible today. So that's, end quote. That was kind of Apple's statement as Epic Games' developer account is being revoked. And then Tim Sweeney from Epic Games said this, quote, Apple's statement isn't forthright. They chose to terminate Epic's account. They didn't have to. Apple suggests we spam the App Store review process. That's not so. Epic submitted three Fortnite builds, two bug fix updates, and a season four update with this note. So first of all, Tim Sweeney's statement is kind of, it's kind of funny. You know, they say Apple didn't have to eject Fortnite and revoke the Epic Games developer account. While that is true, if Apple were to continuing to stand by the policies and guidelines it currently has in place to keep abiding by its own guidelines, then it kind of does have to. Otherwise, it would have to allow other apps to do it. So, you know, that have to statement, it's it's a little subjective, but I do find it kind of hilarious that they're saying, hey, we submitted apps, updates to the App Store for Fortnite. And, uh, you know, they rejected every one of them. Again, leaving out the fact that in all these updates they submitted, that in-app payment system that is outside of Apple 
is was there, you know, for all these updates that they're trying to put in there. So it's not like these updates were with the hope of getting reinstated. It, it, you know, Tim Sweeney and Epic Games knew full well that unless they removed that payment thing, it was not getting pre-approved. So Tim Sweeney's always been very vocal when he's talking about anything publicly. Lawyers at Epic have to be, you know, smacking themselves in the face, begging him not to say anything else because every <laughs> single thing he says is another thing they can use in court against him because basically he's pointing out all the things they're doing wrong rather than what they're doing right, even though he, like, he thinks he's the uh, just leader here. But at the end of the day, they broke the rules on purpose to get some attention and playing the good guy is not going to work in the court. So it's just a little, it's a little weird that they're, they're almost playing pretend at this point because the people paying attention aren't really the kids playing the game. It's the, you know, the people writing these articles and the courts at the end of the day, the kids just want to play. They'll find a platform to play it on. And sometimes it feels like he's talking to them when they don't really care. Right. As of right now, it is still a standoff. And I know, I think Apple has said, you know, they need something like nine or 10 months to prepare for the litigation on this whole issue. So you are not going to see Fortnite in the iOS or iPad app store anytime soon. Neither party is budging. I'd be curious your thought, but I, I don't think either will budge over the next year. Like, I don't think Epic Games is going to be hurting because you can still get Fortnite on your microwave. Right. Apple is clearly sticking to its guns. So tell me what you think, but I don't think we're going to see any budging from either side. Well, this is going to be major financial uh, issues. And I think both sides are going to be calculating every penny that they could have made had either side budged and they're going to present that in court. I'm very curious how much money Fortnite earned just by having that little bypass in the store for those few weeks. Yeah, this there's definitely not going to be any budging, I don't think. And I mean, when's their actual court date in April? I th- <laughs> that is so far from now to oh, yeah. light years away. But now let me ask you, I mean, I know if you had Fortnite installed, you know, a couple of weeks ago, even after it was removed from the App Store, you could still play it on your device. Can, if you had it installed, is it still playable even now with their developer account revoked? Things start to break. Um, I mean, since they're a seasonal... Uh, type game Mm. as soon as uh they go to the new season the players with the old season um are going to lose access because you have to be up to date with the server to play an online game on top of that um obviously you can't download it from the app store at all anymore it's like the game doesn't exist so even if you've downloaded it previously it's no longer in your downloads list so it's just a very bad place to be in if you're uh, one of those people who played exclusively on ios you're left out of this This episode is brought to you by Fundrise. You've probably heard for years that it's important to have a diversified investment portfolio. But if you've ever looked at a breakdown of the most successful portfolios, you'll typically see a diversified set of real estate. So why isn't it one of the first asset classes you consider when you're looking to diversify? Well, that's simple. It hasn't been available to investors like you and me until now, thanks to Fundrise. They make it super easy for all investors to diversify by building you a portfolio of institutional quality real estate investments. So whether you're just starting to invest in real estate or looking to add more, our friends at Fundrise have you covered. Here's how. Fundrise is an investing platform that makes investing in high quality, high potential real estate as easy as investing in your favorite stock or mutual fund. Whether you're looking to add stable cash flow via dividends or prefer long-term growth through appreciation, Fundrise has you covered. To date, Fundrise manages more than $1 billion in assets for 130,000 plus investors. And since 2014, 
the Fundrise platform has averaged 8.7 to 12.4% annual returns, and investors have earned more than $79 million in dividends alone. Incredible. Fundrise's team of real estate professionals carefully vets and actively manages all of their real estate projects. And with their easy-to-use website, you can track your portfolio's performance and watch as properties across the country are acquired, improved, and operated via asset updates. And let me encourage you, visit their website, fundrise.com slash Apple Insider, because the website is beautiful. Everything is incredibly user-friendly. You can tell they care about every detail of the investing process. From sign-up to managing your assets, Fundrise takes great care in making sure your investments are worthwhile. So start building your better portfolio today. Get started at fundrise.com slash Apple Insider to have your first 90 days of advisory fees waived. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash Apple Insider to have your first 90 days of advisory fees waived. Fundrise.com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to Fundrise for sponsoring this episode. So as we move away from the Epic Games and Apple discussion, we're going to talk about Apple policy and kind of the controversy surrounding the App Store in general. We've been talking about it for several weeks. Can I encourage you to listen to that interview with Rogue Amoeba's Paul Kafasis? He talked about the App Store policies, but you were kind of talking on Twitter to IA Rider, popular app in the App Store, uh, but you kind of had interaction with them. So why don't you tell us about that? So the creator of IA Rider, he runs a blog. Someone retweeted into my Twitter timeline. Um, his art, his article is a blog post about Apple and their 30% take and the fairness behind it. Why is Apple asking for 30% from some apps and not others? And why does companies like Facebook get to avoid certain things altogether? And uh, I read through this and there's a lot of good points in there, mostly just, you know, factual information, uh, nothing too opinionated until you get to the point where it starts discussing Apple as a monopoly and what needs to change going forward. Funny enough, I posted a little quote tweet just saying, hey, you know, I appreciate iWriter and I, I love the app. I use it for work. And uh, most of the points in here are great, but I'm kind of tiring of the argument that Apple is a monopoly on its own platform when it's the platform creator. The argument comes across as disingenuous. And the um, owner of iWriter, the uh, developer, he <laughs> replied and was just like, oh no, yeah, you don't. <laughs> don't come in here telling me I'm disingenuous with my article. And, you know, I had to apologize, tried to tell him, Hey, uh, this isn't what I'm talking about. I'm not calling you disingenuous, just the argument in general. And of course we had a little conversation on there. If you want to go poke through the timeline, but overall just came out to the same thing. Uh, We agree on most points and I just can't quite grasp the monopoly argument that is being placed. Not that I don't get the details or why people say that this is a monopoly, but it just doesn't quite make sense to me because I mean, if you, Look anywhere beyond Apple at other platform vendors, at PlayStation, at Google. They're doing similar things uh, because they are the platform owner. They make their rules. You have to follow them. The primary detail of this article was about Facebook and how Facebook and Instagram apps, you can go in and you can buy ads for your posts. And that is done with an in-app payment system developed by Facebook. You use your own credit card and it doesn't go through Apple. And he wants to know why this you know billion dollar company gets to live free just because it's a free app and why these ads aren't in-app purchases. Well, I went and uh, poked around a little bit and it, John Gruber points out these are not actually purchases of goods 
or services at all. It's just an ad. And Apple cannot, and, and the rules points out that it's goods and services. Ads themselves are not going to be part of that 30%. Yeah, it doesn't appear Apple's playing favorites or giving them special privilege just because it's Facebook. It's just because it's a different market entirely. So the goods and services is physical products that Amazon sells not a good in their definition? It's because it's a physical good because the goods and services has to do with either digital storefront type stuff. So if you're buying in-app purchases in a game, ebooks, stuff like that, that 30% has to come out. But if Apple has no part in that sale, like a physical good, then they can't really touch that. And then advertising and ads is outside of that services or goods definition. Right. Because you're not buying a product inside of Facebook. You're not opening up a part of the app that didn't exist before, or uh, you're not getting a feature because you're giving them money. You're spending money on an ad platform that isn't a part of the app experience. And because of that, it's outside of the Apple 30% cut. It's a weird gray area. Yeah. That's interesting. I don't know of any backroom conversations between Apple and Facebook. You know, we saw the email that Eddie Q and Amazon Prime Video had back and forth. That came out on the antitrust hearing where they said, you know, 15% instead of 30 for those who you know, make Amazon Prime video purchases in the app. But we've never seen anything about Facebook. And I don't know, I I could be wrong, but I feel like Apple probably would not bend over backwards to help Facebook in this regard. So I imagine they're abiding by their guidelines and not trying to make a loophole for them. Well, it's it's just another one of these posts that kind of examine Apple in a vacuum. We're focused so much on Apple right now that we just ignore the rest of the world around it and how any of these other things do business. I mean, they mention Google pays Apple a bunch of money. I forget the billions, but, uh, or millions for having primary default status as the search engine on the phone and prominent placement within settings and whatnot. So that money comes in and then they point out where's Facebook's money? Why aren't they paying anything? And it's it's just completely different areas of business. I feel like just uh, poor conjecture on their part. But overall, the uh, sentiment I think I can fall in line with of there needs to be some better wording and better refinement of their rules. We need more uniform guidelines that every app developer has to follow, whether you're billions of dollars or the tiny little startup in a garage. And the fact that these major corporations can kind of talk to Apple in the background is unfair to these smaller developers. Now, if Apple could just be upfront and say, hey, if you do make billions and such money, um, we have this avenue for our app developer plus program or whatever, and you can come talk to us through those. And that might help alleviate some of these problems. But we've yet to see exactly how they have a new policy that just started actually going into effect this week, allowing developers to challenge. Well, yeah, if their app is not approved, they can then challenge the review. Yeah, they can. Uh, any any app that isn't approved, they can challenge the review. And uh, that just started this week. We haven't heard from developers yet on exactly how that works or if there's actually going to be a conversation or if it's all automated. So um, Apple seems to be trying to do some things, but uh, the 30% cut is always the topic of conversation. And I'm just not sure they're looking in the right place targeting that. So this moves into an article that I saw on Inc.com. This is by writer Jason Atten. Hey, Jason, if you're listening, we kind of went back and forth on Twitter about different things the past few weeks. And so I started following him and he wrote this piece. The piece is titled, No, Apple Isn't the New Microsoft. 
It's the new Facebook. Subheading being, has the tech giant lost sight of what made its customers fall in love with its brand in the first place? So the general idea of this article is, you know, there's been some recent comparisons of Apple to, you know, like 90s era Microsoft, meaning it got so big and had a monopoly in certain areas that it lost sight of the customer. And so Jason is saying, well, that's not exactly true because Apple does not have an actual monopoly in an area. Again, Android is a wider used platform, especially worldwide, not necessarily a monopoly on devices or anything. So it's more like that Apple is getting closer to being Facebook. When that was the headline, I was like, okay, uh, we need to (laughs) to dissect some of the stuff that he is claiming. So a couple of the pull quotes from the article that I'd like to address it and jump in here at any time. But uh, earlier in the article, he, Jason says, quote, for most of those years, talking about earlier years of Apple, Apple had a singular focus on the user experience in a way that few other companies did or even understood. The result was a uniquely loyal following among tech companies, end quote. And Jason is arguing that Apple does not have that focus anymore, that they're not focused on user experience, that they are more focused on their policies and making money and stuff like that. My first argument with this statement is all the stuff in the news about the policies and Epic Games and Fortnite, it is affecting, you know, a single game. And Apple is not slowing down on doing many things, innovating with consumers in mind. And so a prime example of this is the privacy features that are going to be coming out in iOS 14. We've talked about it on the show before, but if you don't know, in iOS 14, apps that try to track you for the purpose of serving you ads or giving that information to advertising companies, apps will have to tell you they're going to do it and ask you to opt in to that tracking. Facebook has made a huge think about this, and Mark Zuckerberg says that they're going to lose maybe 15% of their ad revenue because of this change. 50%. 50%, yeah. Regardless of how that affects Facebook, that is wholly with the customer's privacy and experience in mind. That feature does not benefit Apple at all. It's not something that anyone was really asking for, and yet they spend lots of time, developer hours, building that in to iOS 14. And it is, again, for the customer's privacy and security. In the same way, I think AirPods in general, you look at from the launch of AirPods to where they are now with AirPods Pro and Studio maybe coming out soon, the spatial audio update that's coming out in iOS 14, totally based on the customer. And if you're an AirPods user, you know how much of a joy really they are to use, especially when using Apple products. And another prime example Apple Silicon in general. I mean, Apple did not have to start making its own Silicon for the Mac, but because it's a better user experience to have regular chip updates, to not be dependent on Intel, they're going to make their own Silicon and the product is going to be better for it. And while, yes, it might benefit Apple because more people buy Macs, it is a benefit for the consumer directly because it's going to be a better product and better experience. So I find the argument that Apple is no longer focused on user experience or what's best for the user, I think that's a false argument. Well, I think the problem here is, uh, generally speaking, take take the last, last decade of Apple into perspective, uh, put the blinders on, focus completely on Apple and say, hey, this is no longer a Mac company. We're no longer talking to Mac users specifically. And I think that a lot of the uh, old school nerds are stuck in that mindset of it's no longer about me and my Mac and my Apple. And uh, a lot of people don't like that. The move to services and TV shows and music and all these things, it, it splintering Apple into a million directions. So yeah, from some people's perspective, there's probably some chance that yeah, big 
big tech giant Apple isn't looking out for the little guy anymore. They're looking out for their bottom line. They want to make more money. They're going to produce more content. But at the same time, you're right. They are producing updates that no one asked for. They're focusing on privacy when other company really seems to care. And it just seems a little weird to me that people still want to be so cynical that they want to pick apart every little thing and try and find the evil and the good. And yeah, sure, there's tribalism here, and we're going to be Apple fans uh, on, on this podcast and want to go after saying, you know, no negativity here. No, no, we're not going to do that, but it's okay to be critical of the company, but it, sometimes people take it a little far, and this feels, again, just a little disingenuous. Yeah, and I think we have been critical of, you know, we're talking about the 30% share, especially how it affects smaller developers, individual developers, for sure. I think that should be looked at. But round robin, it affects the user because if a developer can't support themselves and they no longer can make an app because it's not monetarily feasible, then it might affect the consumer. But it really affects the developer. And so if you want to talk about the developer experience and what it means to build stuff on Apple's platforms, I think that's one thing. But to say that they're not focused on the consumer, I don't think it's a one-to-one correlation. But anyway, I just want to take a couple more pull quotes from this article. And Jason says that, quote, Mark Zuckerberg deserves credit for figuring out maybe the greatest business model in the history of the world, end quote. I think the statement is a little hyperbolic. And I also think it's kind of funny because Mark Zuckerberg is the one that is complaining and saying that these new changes to iOS 14 is going to kill 50% of his business, like we just said. So to say it's the greatest business model in the history of the world, but a software update on a phone could kill half of that business, I don't think it's a good argument to say it's the greatest business model in the world. And this is also in light of the $2 trillion market cap valuation that Apple just got and how it's the you know, most profitable company in the world. So I don't think that statement is uh, a fair picture of Facebook. Ad revenue online is such a weird thing to observe just over time, because at first it was just like having a billboard out in the street. You just pass by, you might be interested, you might not, but these hyper local targeting down to the person with billions of users around the planet, it's a little crazy. And Facebook and Google both are guilty of hyper fixating on the fact that if you don't have targeted ads, you're going to fail as a company. And they've convinced the entire market of this. And now Mark Zuckerberg's out on stage saying, if we don't fix this issue, and if we're not able to invade people's privacy, we're no longer a feasible business. And that's kind of crazy to me, considering that, you know, ad revenue has been a thing for decades without the need of hyper-targeting. And right. so again, the, just the, the whole article being Apple's turning into Facebook just it hits the weird, the wrong way. So Jason says, quote, Facebook, while its profit machine leads to all sorts of problems, is genuinely believing it's doing the right thing, end quote. I disagree. I don't think that Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook in general believes it is completely altruistic and has the user's best interest in mind. I know they say some things like that, but they have been caught doing very nefarious things in the past, and they have had to backtrack those practices because they knew that it was a privacy nightmare and that people were super upset about it. I don't know if you remember the Facebook app was using silent background audio to stay active in the background, which is a totally nefarious use of that API. And Facebook had to stop doing that because it was wrong. And there was also some news that users going from the news feed to comment threads and kind of switching between panes in the Facebook app might see that their camera was running in the background or that it was open and they saw the, the viewfinder. You know, I don't think that Facebook is doing that believing it is altruistic 
and good for the user. It is obviously a play to break into the privacy of its users to get more data to surface better ads. Yeah, and again, if you just take a step back and look at the bigger picture, look at the other things Facebook has done. I mean, remember, what, 2014, 2015, when Facebook told every publisher on their platform, if you don't shift the video, you're going to fail. And by doing so, they created one of the most catastrophic events in online journalism of, oh no, all these small studios now have to go from being a paper publication to buying thousands of dollars in video equipment buying software and teaching people how to talk in front of a camera in order to make money. (laughs) And that collapsed a lot of businesses only to turn around later and find out, wait, video is not that big of a deal. And it was purely just because Facebook wanted to be the next YouTube and they wanted to push people to Facebook as a new video platform. And Facebook in court has, you know, noted, you know, we have the numbers, but we may have exaggerated the need to shift a video. And those kinds of things, <laughs> just to make a better business move for them, just tells me like, what kind of company they are. It's They're not out for yeah. anyone except for themselves. So it's just kind of crazy, again, to come in here and say they believe themselves to be altruistic. And that's just not true. I also think it's hilarious. There's this quote from Mark Zuckerberg uh, in a webcast to employees where he's, he's talking about Apple. And Mark Zuckerberg says, quote, Apple has a unique stranglehold as a gatekeeper on what gets on phones. Zuckerberg also claimed that Apple's app store, quote, blocks innovation, blocks competition, and allows the company to charge monopoly rents, end quote. I think this is hilarious because, A, Facebook doesn't have to pay to be on the app store because their app is free. So Facebook is not paying any kind of rents. Um, Maybe if it has like an in-app purchase in WhatsApp, I'm not sure if there's even any, but that would be the only case. So Facebook as an app does not pay anything to Apple. And to say that Apple is a gatekeeper to what gets on the device, and there's been so much news that Facebook is leaving content on its service in people's news feeds that is false and inaccurate, that is prioritizing some political political campaigns over others, and that the algorithm is just really not doing well in far as what the people are seeing in their news feeds. You know, I just think this is a hilarious comparison for Mark Zuckerberg to make about Apple when his own platform is being hammered for this. Do you remember the Facebook phone? <laughs> yes, I do remember that. Yes, that was hilarious. I want to talk about strangleholds on a marketplace. <laughs> that thing was a monster of, here's Facebook and all of the Facebook things, and you can only be Facebook on this platform. Pay us a lot of money, please. And it failed miserably. And now he's coming out <laughs> saying, Apple's doing this terrible thing. You tried to do the same thing, man, only a couple years ago. And it's also hilarious because Facebook buys Instagram, so it doesn't have that competition. It steals stories from Snapchat and puts it in its Instagram app. It's trying to steal TikTok's idea and put it into the reels of Instagram. Rather than compete on the Messenger platform, it just buys WhatsApp. You know, if you want to talk about a company that is building a monopoly in areas, Facebook is is just as guilty, if not more so, than Apple. And so again, to, to say that Facebook thinks it's being altruistic and it's not, and that Apple is somehow becoming like that, I I just can't support that idea or viewpoint. I don't think it's right. The last couple of quotes I just want to read from this article from Inc. Jason says, quote, it's a dangerous place to be when you believe you're doing the right thing for the right reason. You close yourself off to the possibility that you might just be hurting both your customers and your brand. In that way, Apple might not be wrong, but that doesn't make it right. He goes on to say, the obsessive focus on the user is what made people love Apple in the first place. Now it's obsessive focus on being right means it's becoming a lot less like Apple and a lot more like Facebook, end quote. Again, from what I've said just a moments ago, I still believe that Apple is focusing on the user. 
Look at the announcements from WWDC, the product launches that have come and are coming soon. I think it is all for the consumer. And you could say that Apple might be distracted by things like Apple TV Plus or Apple News Plus, but I don't think that they are suffering innovation for the sake of those things. Again, I think Apple Silicon and some of the privacy updates on iOS 14 are prime examples. And the one thing that Apple is doing that might be affecting its image, at least in this moment, the Hey.com debacle, which was resolved, and then the Epic Games thing with Fortnite. This entire argument is based on the fact that iOS users no longer have access to one game on the platform. That is basically the extent of the Apple user uh, not having a good experience anymore. And so again, I, I don't think that Facebook thinks it's doing the right thing for the right reason. I do not believe that Facebook sees itself as an altruistic, uh, wholesome company. I do think that Apple believes that, but I think there's a better argument to say that Apple is still actually doing things in the consumer's best interest, where I find that Facebook does things completely in its own interests with really no regard to the consumer's privacy or security. And I think they know exactly what they're doing and their, their past uh, actions have shown that. And I think even currently, I do not think that Apple is becoming more like Facebook, even current Apple and current Facebook. I do not think Apple is doing that. I think the comparison to Microsoft is at least a little more accurate that Apple might be expanding into more areas and getting bigger. And so, you know, its image is being tainted by some of these skirmishes with things like Epic Games and Hey.com. But I still believe that Apple is doing things strictly for the customer's benefit. Again, I call to the iOS 14 privacy and ad tracking uh, features, the privacy features it's building into Safari, something that Google Chrome has no intention or cares to do because they want your data. Uh, Apple is doing those things, not because someone asked, but because that privacy and security is a priority. And that's something that they always state. Again, the, the innovation in AirPods and Apple Silicon, look at the recent iPad Pros, the upcoming iPhone 12 looks to be like it be incredibly innovative. I do not see Apple suffering their innovation because they're, you know, blinded by the app store and trying to pick these battles. So I, I just, I, I don't agree with that premise. Jason, I would love to talk to you uh, if you're listening and we can discuss this further, but uh, I, I don't hold to, to this idea. So I have a question about this whole overall concept here of, you know, Apple and the monopoly thing. So the idea being Apple runs the hardware platform and you turn it on and there's Apple software running it on it. And then there's the app store with Apple apps inside of it. So Apple's controlling the entire stack top to bottom. And I've seen legislation. I can't remember. It's killing me. Uh, which country could have been Russia could have been us, but uh, out there saying, Hey, we want to create a law that prevents platform vendors from serving their own software on it. So think of like Google search, not being allowed on Android. Um, so either Google would have to stop owning Android or they would not be able to have search on that platform. And I was just wondering your thought on what do you think of Apple as a monopoly on its platform? And uh, I mean, does it have a right to be there serving its own software alongside competitors or should we be thinking about different ways to approach that? Should they be on there at all? I don't see Apple as having a monopoly on its own platforms. I think it has its own platform and it makes hardware to supplement that platform. Because they've done it so well in the iPhone and iOS and that integration from the beginning, I don't think they should be penalized by saying it's a monopoly because they make the only phone that can do it. And this is not stopping like Google. They have their Pixel devices. And if they actually chose to innovate and make good hardware, those phones might actually sell. And no one's crying that you can't get iOS on a Pixel. 
because they just don't make that good of hardware. And there's so much news right now about, you know, the Pixel 5 might use the same camera sensor as the 2. And it might actually be made of less quality materials than the Pixel 4. So it's like, you know, you want to say Apple has a monopoly just because it is doing so much innovation on the hardware side. And that's the only device that can run iOS. I, I think that's trying to find a scapegoat just to call it a monopoly. Now, when it comes to software, should you be allowed to sideload apps and things like that? You know, I think for businesses that need to, they actually have that ability. You know, if you're an enterprise company and you want to, you know, install profiles on devices and you want to use a a proprietary business app, like you can do that. If you as a user uh, want to be able to get Fortnite on your device right now, honestly, I'm undecided. I'm not sure. I don't think it's accurate to call it a monopoly because you can't get Fortnite on it. I think it's a policy of should Apple sideload apps, which is, I think, apart from the whole, does it have too much? I mean, I guess you could say, does Apple have too much control over its platform? Well, it doesn't allow sideloading apps. So if, if you call that too much control, but I think that there is benefit to maybe exploring that idea. And, you know, like Paul Kafasas, like we talked to, and I've heard a lot of other developers, like the ATP guy saying like, yeah, I think Apple should allow sideloading apps. Like a gatekeeper kind of function. Yeah, exactly. Like the Mac. You know, if you want to argue that the iPhone and iPad should act more like the Mac when it comes to app installations, I I would be for that, you know, and I think it would benefit the user if they could uh, get some apps directly from developers. And I know every developer would be ecstatic about that idea uh, and get outside the 30%. So I think if there's any argument to, to be made against what Apple's current practices are, I think calling it a monopoly, you know, I don't think that's beneficial. But I do think saying, let us sideload apps onto iPhone and iPad, I feel like it would pretty much solve 99% of all this that's going on uh, in the App Store. Yeah, so I'm not picking on iWriter here. They just were the ones who brought up the question. They pointed out Apple's App Store is two-thirds of all app sales in the world. And on top of that, like, they're taking a 30% cut, and that seems to to be, you know, the the monopoly position of Apple's controlling this app store. And my question to them was, hey, if Apple is maybe 20, 15% of the marketplace, but they're earning 80%, 90% of the profits, whose fault is that? I mean, is Google not being competitive enough? Is Android users not incentivized to spend money on the platform? I mean, where is this money coming from? Where is it going? I mean, yes, Apple has the power seat here. They are earning all of the money in that marketplace, but where do we fix this? I mean, is controlling Apple and telling them, no, stop earning money, this is bad. Or, I mean, is it Google being more competitive? I mean, why don't they make any money despite their millions and millions of phones that are sold every day? Again, it just comes across as like, where do we draw the line here? They're not, they're not Microsoft with Internet Explorer. They're not a 99% of devices owning the internet. Like this is 14, 15% of the global population using iPhones, but somehow they're spending 80% of the money. How do we fix that? Well, and there's just the data that iPhone users are more inclined to spend money on software and devices. And I don't think that is Apple's fault or problem to deal with. I don't know. I don't know all the market research, but like it is possible to spend just as much money with an Android phone on app purchases and subscription services as there is on an iPhone. You know, you can pay Google just as much for their Google One service and get the cloud services and all that kind of stuff. And you can pay for all the same apps. You can pay for one password subscription on iOS, just like you could on Android. And you can buy paid apps 
on Android just like you can on iOS. Yep. And and like you said, there are more Android devices out in the world than Apple devices. So clearly it is not the sake of there's not enough Android devices in people's hands and there's not enough things to buy. Like that's clearly not the case. So if it's the fact that the people who buy Apple products are also the ones that buy more software, like I, I don't know if that's Apple's problem. Yeah, I think the idea behind a monopoly, and I'm, I may be wrong here, is that they're controlling the market in a way that gives them an advantage. And I don't see Apple controlling the smartphone market or the app store market. Like, sure, they're controlling their specific app store and making decisions inside of it, but they're not controlling the Android marketplace. They're not telling Google what to do. And until Apple owns 80% of the global smartphone market, I can't see them controlling anything other than having users come spend money on their platform, however that may be. Right. Another hilarious part of the whole Epic Games and Fortnite debacle is Google kicked them out of the Play Store on the same day that Apple kicked them out of iOS. And Epic Games is not saying anything about Google. They don't make any statements or make a big stink about Google's Play Store policies. And so I think that goes to show the discrepancy of is it an actual issue or is it these guys are after money? I think when it comes to Epic Games, they see Apple having money and they're trying to get some of it. And they know the users on Apple's platform are the ones that spend the money and they want them paying for in-app stuff directly, not through Apple. My favorite term in this industry is the Apple distortion field. Right. And it used to apply to, you know, everyone's looking at Apple through frosted glass or whatever. But now you, it's on the flip side of everyone wants to look to Apple for the problems. And I think that like the media looks at Apple through this distortion field and sees them as this juggernaut problem when the rest of the market has similar issues or, or whatnot. I made a comment on Twitter saying, hey, you remember the iPhone 10 launched for $1,000 and there must have been thousands of articles written about how that was just awful, terrible. App Apple is hurting the economy. How can anyone afford a $1,000 phone in this market? And uh, especially at peak iPhone, their their greed is no knows no bounds. And then <laughs> let alone, you know, last week, one of the biggest smartphone manufacturers on the planet, Samsung, releases a $2,000 smartphone in the middle of a pandemic and there isn't one article about it. So I just think it's kind of, funny to, to look at media around Apple through that distortion field again of Apple's where the clicks are, Apple's where the money is. And Epic knows that too. They're going after Apple because they're the $2 trillion giant um, in the room. So, All right. Well, listeners, tell us what you think about all this. You can tweet at WESRI. Our Twitter handles are in the show notes. We'd love to hear your thoughts about any of this stuff, either the news, the Epic Games debacle, or, you know, is Apple turning into Facebook or Microsoft? We would love to hear your thoughts on that. If you haven't yet, we'd greatly appreciate a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. That'll help us move up the ranks and get discovered by more people looking for Apple news and tips. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. It recently got 500,000 subscribers, so thanks to everyone who already subscribed. And if you haven't checked it out, go to youtube.com slash Apple Insider for all the videos and reviews. Andrew O'Hara does an awesome job on that. And don't forget to check out HomeKit Insider, our show about all the HomeKit devices, projects, news that comes out every month. Monday. You can check out the link in show notes or just go to appleinsider.com slash podcast and you'll see the recent episodes from both of our shows. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next week.